It's Jennifer Diane Ghostin, and welcome to Once Upon a Time in Adoptee Land. After connecting with the adoption community, I recognize the added value adoptees bring to a conversation about adoption. My guest today is returning to the podcast. The last time she was here, a collection of essays were a work in progress. They have now been published as her second book, Belonging Matters, Conversations on Adoption, Family, and Kinship. Her award-winning memoir and first book was published in 2021. It is titled, Twice a Daughter, A Search for Identity, Family, and Belonging. Her name is Julie Ryan McGew, and I'm happy to have her back. If you haven't listened to our recording that aired on January 18th, 2022, episode 47 from season three, I think you'll enjoy our conversation. In this episode, we explore her book, Belonging Matters, and hope to pique your interest about one of my favorite subjects, belonging versus fitting in. I enjoyed reading her words and found myself reflecting on my own life experiences as an adoptee. Getting to know Julie better through her first book led me to learning more about her in this second one. As a talented writer who is committed to the whole picture, often includes all members of the constellation when discussing relinquishment and adoption. Allow me to introduce you again or for the first time to a fellow adoptee born in Chicago during the Baby Scoop era as an identical twin who searched and reunited with her biological mother only to initially receive secondary rejection. On the back cover of her book, it states, Belonging Matters supports the adoption community while creating a conversation with those not directly touched by adoption. The collection explores the pursuit of identity and the boundaries of family and kinship. It challenges the reader to embrace all of who we come to be and to discern with whom and where we belong. Because belonging defines the human experience, and it is what nourishes our spirit, fuels us with purpose, and compels us to soar beyond the limitations of our lived experience. Julie, I am so happy to have you back on the podcast, so welcome back to Once Upon a Time in Adoptee Land. Thanks, Jennifer. (laughs) I feel like you and I have become friends over our shared topic of adoption and and writing. Yes, for sure. And you were on January 18th of 2022 when your book had come out, uh, your memoir, and I've got it right in front of me right now, Twice a Daughter, A Search for Identity, Family, and Belonging. And I didn't read it prior to our recording, but I absolutely finished it shortly thereafter, and I loved it. And I encourage everybody, if you don't already have a copy, please go get a copy of Twice a Daughter. And so now you're back to talk about this latest book, Belonging Matters, Conversations on Adoption, Family, and Kinship. And I'm happy to say that I did finish it prior to us being together now. And it is so good. The essays do 
share a part of your adoption journey, but you weave in such wisdom. And I love what was written on the back by Lori Shear. Mm-hmm. Whether you read this book from cover to cover or pick up the volume and choose a daily or random selection, your life will be enhanced by these reader-friendly passages, bursting with truth and encouragement, and you will realize the true meaning of family, belonging, and being loved. So I want to thank you for writing this book. Well, thank you for saying that. I found after I wrote Twice a Daughter that a lot of my readers, they wanted more. There were a lot of things that happened in my adoption reunion that I wasn't able to share in the book. It just didn't feel like it was appropriate to the arc of the story. So Belonging Matters not only has some updates that happened after Twice a Daughter came out, but it also has family stories. That's one of the things that I've really enjoyed writing about in my my column that I write and my blog that I write is family moments and what what is endearing to us about family stories. And I'm really interested in exploring belonging as it relates to family, because as you and I know, we have our adoptive families, we have our birth families, and then we have family that we're not related to um, that we consider our family. And so that edge of what is family and what is kinship is something I'm really interested in writing more about. Yes. And I want to quote Jane Strauss. I love when she says, adoptees have a lot to teach the entire community of humanity. And so I want to start there with your thoughts about we as adoptees being able to teach humanity. Yeah, I think the two things that come to mind is our need as adoptees to find ourselves, so that identity piece, and to find where we belong. We straddle two different worlds. We straddle our adoptive family's world and our birth family's world. There is a lot of wisdom in those of us that think about those topics, identity and belonging, and how we, how we find our identity and belonging. It's a lifelong search, as you know. My relationships with my birth mother and my birth siblings, I have a brother and a sister that, um, that I found 10 years ago. And I think as we explore our feelings about our families, I think others are taking notice. I feel close to both families, but I feel close to them in different ways. Um, my family that I grew up with certainly Uh, We have a lot of shared memories that bond us to one another, but then there's that biological bonding that we have with our birth families. And I think how we balance that is what people need to take notice. This culture that we live in now is very familiar with blended families, but in a different sense. Blended meaning uh, divorced parents and half-siblings or whatever. And So I think the topic is very relevant beyond the adoption community is how do we how do we balance who we feel like we belong to and how does that affect how we see ourselves? I love that answer. Yeah. One of the things 
that I really enjoy talking about is the difference between fitting in and belonging because they're very different. And so mm-hmm. when I, yeah, when I learned of the title of your book, I just got very curious. And I think that when a book is so well written, it speaks to me about my own personal experience. And as I read Belonging Matters, I found myself thinking back to different events in my life and also learning that I hadn't quite put words to something. So I want to read from page 42. The chapter is called Add Family Reunions to the List of Triggers. Mm, Yep. (laughs) Second paragraph, you write, here's the thing. When an adoptee heads off to a family reunion, they know the event is a get-together for their adoptive family's biological relatives. As a legal member of the adoptive family, the adoptee knows they belong to this multi-generational group. However, even if an adoptee is welcomed and encouraged to take part in the reunion activities, we are cognizant of what is missing. We lack the basic biology that ties us to these folks. Even though we may want to connect, something feels off. And when I read that entire chapter, I just really thought about all of the the get-togethers and, you know, the holiday celebrations that would typically go on at my father's brother's house, right? My uncle and aunt, and they had five kids my first cousins, we were close, loving, loving family. And yet that chapter for me that you wrote put into words what I would feel each time I was there. Like this is their family reunion. Yeah. Yeah. I couldn't put, put my finger on it. Exactly. And I think the other piece of that is not being included in the family reunions of birth families. I have been in touch with my my birth mother side of the family since 2011, and I have yet to be invited to any of those family reunions because my presence and my twin sister's presence, because I am an identical twin, would make my birth mother feel very uncomfortable. She's still struggling with the idea of being an unwed mother, having placed us for adoption, but also changing how her relatives and, and family think of her having had all of this happen to her. So I'm not invited to those reunions. So the dichotomy in that chapter that you referred to is about that. It's about where we're invited to our adoptive families reunions and we're welcomed for the most part we are, but inside we don't, we know something's off. And then there's this other issue. Are we really welcomed? at our birth families, the, the family that we are biologically related, do they make us feel, feel welcome? And in my case, I have met some first cousins and they have made me feel welcome, but the invitation has not been ever extended from my birth mother. So it's a real tough issue, um, this, this sense of belonging, feeling like you belong, but maybe holding back and then knowing that uh, your presence really isn't welcome is another tough issue. Yes, I'm sorry that you've been experiencing that. That seems very hard. And yeah, I think it, I just think it is something that a lot of uh, adoptees that enter search and reunion find 
Um, and certainly we have to do what's right for ourselves. I would not want to be in an uncomfortable situation with my birth families at their reunion. If, if it made my birth mother uncomfortable, yes, but also I would want to feel welcomed. And, you know, if there's any kind of uh, stigma attached to something, you tend to avoid it. I think it is an issue that that adoptees and reunion do face and putting a name to it is something that I think is helpful. I do too. Yeah, and you did that in that chapter. And the other thing that it brought up for me was I was imagining that there were festivities going on, reunions going on with my tribe, right, my biological family, and I was not there. And maybe they didn't even know you could have been there. I mean, that's the piece of it. Mm -hmm. Um, All throughout your book, I have these tabs, and one that I just want to, like, laugh for a minute is towards the end when you talk about the raccoon. And, <laughs> and it took me back to a moment when I observed a raccoon on my block in Chicago, very urban area. I mean, they're notorious for going through our garbage cans and whatnot. And I remember getting out of a car and like whistling or snapping my fingers. And this raccoon starts charging towards me. Like I didn't know that about raccoons. The chapter yeah, is called, up next to me. <laughs> <laughs> called How Long Before We Set Aside Our COVID Tenant Glasses. Yeah, that was a, that was a powerful chapter too. I'm not into tarot cards so much, but I think there is a raccoon character that you're supposed to be wary of. They well earn that that nickname, characters to be wary of, because they are, they, oh, they just sneak up on you. They're yeah. not to be trusted. <laughs> yeah, they're not. Yeah, and they're not afraid of us. You know, like most of the creatures no, out not. there kind of go the other way, and raccoons don't do that. So that no. kind of really made me chuckle and think back. And, and I think when you read a writer's words and it resonates with your own personal experience, that's part of their intent. Would you say? Mm-hmm. Right, right. I think one of the reasons I love to write essays is because I can take a personal example or a personal story and put a larger universal issue around it, um, whether it's belonging or finding forgiveness or finding meaning. I feel like I'm always on the, the lookout for a, a personal story that drives a point home. Yeah. And another chapter that had me pause and and reflect on some recent experiences was the chapter called Difficult Questions. And I love how you give guidance, excellent guidance, ask for clarification, buy time, answer the parts you feel comfortable answering and ignore the rest. That's good. Right. Yeah, a girlfriend of mine was the inspiration for that essay because she was famous for saying, what an interesting question. (laughs) And she never really answered the question if she didn't want to. And I thought, what a classy way to handle that as opposed to making everyone in the room feel comfortable. She just sort of deflected and, and would pick a piece out that she would answer. And I think that's a good role model for all of us that uh, we don't have to answer questions if they make us uncomfortable. So true. And we can turn the question back 
to whoever asks it and say, you know, that's an interesting question. How would you answer that question? <laughs> I recently heard you can say, I don't have an answer for you right now. I love mm-hmm. that. Yeah, I don't have an answer mm-hmm. for oh, you right now. Great. Yeah. And speaking of questions, because I had an opportunity to listen to you as a guest on Simon Ben's podcast, Thriving Adoptees, and, and one just aired recently this yes. week, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I think the Thanks Open Adoption that. Project podcast, mm-hmm. the questions, they were so thoughtful. She's, she was really good. You close, and you did this with Simon as well, with what's one moment would you go back to? Yeah, always I answer, um, you know, we all share our wedding days. We share our, some of us have our own children and those are all beautiful moments. But that moment when I heard my birth mother's voice on the phone for the very first time, because I had always wondered if that would happen. And, and it took a lot of work to find her and to get her on the phone. It was almost uh, years in the making just to do that. And hearing her voice on the phone was such a powerful moment because it was so longed for and really in doubt for many, many years. So that, that would be one moment that would be wonderful to go back to. Yeah, I think that's a, a real beautiful question. And I've been asking people in my life that question. And it's interesting like I can tell they've been thinking about it, like the day will go by and then another day and they'll come back to, and this is another one, you know, this is another moment. And it does uh, uh, require some reflection and it's mm-hmm. not the easiest question to answer. And and I know I thought about when I first saw my birth mother's photograph, um, that was such a special moment for me because she was deceased when I learned of her identity, so I would not be able to reunite with her. But just seeing her picture, her photograph, was such a precious moment for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I remember seeing the photographs that my birth mother sent to me before I had spoken to her, and I couldn't believe the likenesses that my sister and I shared with her at different points in her life. And I think that's a common thread for adoptees is we really want to know who we take after physically. Do we take after our birth mother, our birth father, and what different traits did they pass on to us? And I think that curiosity is something that we have our whole life until we do meet them or have pictures of them. And it's, uh, it, it does, it fills you with such joy to say, Oh yeah, I have her hands. And, Yes, I have his smile, and because we're deprived of that knowledge because of of closed adoption, we're deprived of all of that until we have it in our hands. So true. And the essay entitled You Never Know took me to a, a really, I guess, endearing moment in my life. I worked for a supervisor, a really great sergeant, who passed, uh, I think, in the last couple of years. I had worked for him for probably over 10 years, and I was reading a book by, by Betty Jean Lifton. And he said, what are you reading? And I showed him, and he, he said, oh, you're adopted? And I said, yes. And he said, 
I'm an adoptive parent. And I remember in that moment, like I never knew, like we had never had any kind of conversation about it. It kind of changed our relationship for the better. I think just knowing that about him and him being interested in what was it like for me to be an adoptee because he had two sons Mm -hmm. that um, he and his wife adopted. It, It was, yeah, it was a powerful moment that your chapter took me back to remembering that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, in that chapter in the book, I, I'm in my parking garage. My book, Twice a Daughter, had just come out. And one of the building maintenance guys approached me because he'd seen something, uh, a blurb in the newspaper about it. And, and we got talking about the book and that I was adopted. And then he shared that his wife was, and she was on this the search for her birth family that wasn't going very well. You know, it's an interesting thing. A twice a daughter, while I knew it would appeal to adoptees like me who were going through the search process, and that was really why I wrote that book, was a guidepost for adoptees to learn from my mistakes or to give them another thing to try if they had already reach the wall. So I wrote it in for that intent and purpose. But what I have found is that the book has resonated with adoptive parents, to your point, wanting to understand what it's like for an adoptee. What's in their head? What do they think about? What are the struggles that they face that they don't put a voice to? Another friend of mine, actually a young friend, it was a friend of my daughter's, None of my daughter's friends knew that this girl was adopted. She, in effect, her her adoptive family kept it a secret, not from her, but just it wasn't a conversation that they were willing to to have with other people. And uh, because that conversation was so shut down in that family, this young woman, her name is Claire, she found out about uh, my, my book, Twice a Daughter, from my daughter, and she read the book. And she gave it to her mother and said, read this book. And when you're done reading, I want us to sit down and talk about this. Because this has been too painful, having not had any of these conversations. So, you know, while my my purpose in writing the book was one thing, it has served other purposes too. And I'm so grateful for that because the book was not meant to sell a gazillion copies and make a, a lot of money. It was it was cathartic for me, but it was also meant for people to share and make them feel better and maybe give them a way to look forward. Very good, yeah. And at the end of page 125, you write, I don't curse you anymore, closed adoption. I'm glad you finally stepped aside and allowed me to know from whom and where I came from and to whom I belong. Beautiful words there. Thank you. I think that that was, it wasn't a perfect outcome. Most adoption search and reunions are not, but I was so grateful for every little bit of knowledge that I got and any connections that I made. I think we do ourselves a service when we're in our middle-aged years doing this. We put some answers to questions that we've always had. But I also believe 
as painful as it can be to go through that process of, of search and reunion, we're in a better place in the middle of our lives to kind of put things in perspective. I'm very involved in a Catholic Charities post-adoption support group, which I love to share that that group exists and that the agency that was my adoption agency also is still ministering to my needs now, which is a powerful thing to me. Within that group, there is younger adoptees that are going through the search process, and there's so much hurt for them because they're at that crucial point of figuring out who they are. And when you have rejection and abandonment at such a crucial age, I think it's harder to put that in perspective within your life. And one of the things you and I've talked about before is what kind of wisdom to pass on. And I think wait until you're a little bit older to, to go down this path because it is tricky and it's, it's mired with all sorts of landmines that I think your life experiences do teach you how to put those in perspective. And you really do need a strong support system, a good marriage or family around you to support you because there is a lot to work through. I wouldn't have been able to do it successfully if I hadn't had my relationship with my sister, my twin sister, strong relationship with my husband and this post-adoption support group, which is made up of the triad. So adoptive parents, birth parents, and adoptees that are all trying to connect to their birth relatives. So I wanted to talk a little bit about the chapter entitled, You Never Know. And I'll, I'll read a little bit. You write here, and I so agree with this. Writers are solitary creatures. We live in our heads where we conjure scenes and characters to make our stories come alive, and we torture ourselves until we come up with the right string of words. And with publication comes the need for publicity. Writers love feedback, but we are more comfortable behind a computer screen than in the public eye. This has always been the case for me. And that resonated with me, and so I know that there may be listeners who are writers and who want to publish, and we know there are like two different things to to publish and then let everybody know that your book is out there. So yeah, would you share a little bit about how that experience is for you? One of the things that I had difficulty with in the very beginning was how to get the word out that the book was coming out and to which audience, which I did hire a publicity firm to, to help me. And I have so enjoyed talking to, on podcasts, but also to book clubs, because those smaller groups are more comfortable for me to make the conversation meaningful. As a writer, you can you can hire help. I happen to have a marketing degree from Northwestern, and so I have a marketing background. And I see the publicity piece now that my, my book has been out for a couple of years. It's a little bit of a game. It's fun for me to figure out a picture that goes with a string of words that I've written and put that out there. So I have had a lot of fun with the creative side of publicity. The The hard part is being consistent at it and continuing to write at the same time. So I think it is a tricky hat to wear. 
the publicity piece without any help. Um, I'll share this with uh, your listeners. I, I did hire a virtual assistant this year to kind of help me with the publicity of this book, continue on with talking about Twice a Daughter too. And I have a third book coming out in a year, which is the prequel to Twice a Daughter. And so I know that I need that help. And a lot of my writer friends admit to the same thing, that we we need help with the social media part, because that's how you get your book out in front of readers that might not have heard about it. Thank you for sharing that. Yes, I know your publicist reached out to me, but I still felt like like you're getting help, but it still felt like you're you're maintaining still being personable because right away we were reconnected. But I do think it is important when you need help to get it. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, I mean, the audience for books like mine, there's six to eight million adoptees in this country. And when you think, you know, they each have two sets of parents and the, their family members and their friends. So the, the audience for someone touched by adoption is vast and social media taps into that audience. There's so many beautiful sites on Facebook and groups on Instagram to listen to what adoptees and birth parents um, and adoptive parents, what they have to say. And I, I, I think what's so vital about that is the conversation, engaging in conversation with other members of the triad allows us to really understand the whole picture of what an adoption story is all about. And it allows us to get rid of some of those ugly stigmas. One of the things that I faced, and I I know from conversations with other adoptees that they did too, this whole issue of post-adoption adoptees trying to find our, our family, we risk looking like we are disloyal to our adoptive families. I, I had to face that with my, my adoptive mom was not thrilled. I think she thought, why now? Why does this have to happen now? We're, we were just fine without this in our life. But it was always inside of me. I didn't want to appear disloyal. And I didn't feel completely disloyal. But we shouldn't be put in that position. And talking about it on these forums, on Instagram or podcasts like you have, Jennifer, really enlightens the people outside of our adoption world. This is what is being thought about, talked about. And how do we help these people that we care about that have been touched by adoption? How do we improve how they feel that they belong or their sense of identity? And that's the value of what you do with this podcast is Um, We're sharing our perspectives and the listeners are making up their mind how they they view what's going on. Yes, I agree. I think the whole picture is important. Truly it is. And I think everybody stands the, I guess, the opportunity to heal. Mm -hmm. Yeah, when we're listening to one another. Right. And I think that, I mean, empathy that ability to, to take on another's perspective is something that I really love to talk about because when we have empathy for another person's point of view, 
we extend them not only courtesy, but there is a ripple effect. Mm-hmm. Um, you asked me if I would read something, and I'll just read something from the um, the last chapter. And the last chapter is called "Empathy Has a Ripple Effect." So recently, I was a guest speaker on a panel of writers. During the Q and A portion, the question came up: Where we find courage and resiliency? I mentioned my relationship with my sister and my reliance on the Catholic Charity Support Group. A woman who I will call Sarah raised her hand in the chat. She was joining us from Australia, which meant she had risen at dawn to connect to the meeting. Sarah shared that she is a birth mom and that she had read my memoir twice. Upon finishing it for the first time, Sarah wept. My story had awakened complicated, suppressed thoughts and emotions. Reading the book had provided steps for Sarah to begin to heal from the trauma of her adoption loss. To our cozy virtual group, Sarah said, "When I got to the chapter in Twice a Daughter about the support group meeting, I realized I needed peer support right away. I hadn't known such therapy groups existed for women like me." And I think that that's something that we all need to take a step back and listen to. I mean, the birth mother's story is just as tragic as an adoptee's story. It's a painful loss for them, and the ability to support one another in these groups and help each of us heal is、uh, so powerful and so important. So, if there are any listeners that Are trying to figure out what their route is, or how to think about their sense of identity or belonging. I would urge them to get in some kind of support group because you will heal in ways that you didn't even know you needed to be healed. Well said. And you left out, I think, a really important sentence because I was reading along with you <laughs> <laughs> through her tears, referring to Sarah. She thanked me for writing my story, and I thank you for writing your story. Congratulations on this latest book, and I'm excited about the third book coming out. And、uh, yeah, you're just you're just keeping us, I think, tuned in, really, really tuned in, and that's so important. So thank you for all the work and contributions you're making to the community. Thank you, Jennifer, and I really appreciate this conversation. I look forward to another one. After the next book comes out, absolutely. I'm so glad you returned to be a guest. And is there anything that I didn't ask you? Even like when you were here in January of last year, <laughs> that you want to share? Well, you and I were talking about this a little bit before we、um, we got rolling with the recording, and that is that even if you don't have an intent to write a book. There's so much power in the journaling that we can do, writing for ourselves. It helps us think about what we need to think about, and we form strong opinions about that. So, even if it's just a gratitude journal at the end of the day, writing the five things that happened in the course of the day for which you're grateful, that's a powerful thing. But you know. Writing down what you think about different topics, like what we talked about today—the the family reunions, going back and looking at your relationships with your siblings that you grew up with, 
and what was important with that. So I think journaling is a powerful tool for, for everybody. Yeah, I do too. And you know, one of the things that you shared with Simon that I so believe is we can find belonging in a lot of places. And ultimately, we belong to ourselves. So be true to yourself. I love your words. Well, thank you for having this conversation with me. <laughs> You're welcome. Thanks again. Let me say that when a writer puts pen to pad, we all stand to benefit from reading or hearing what they have to say. Many things will usually resonate, and Julie's writing style makes me appreciate now having the words to many of my thoughts and feelings. We all get asked questions that in the moment we might experience a bit of uncertainty as how to best respond or how much to say. I'm of the opinion that oversharing serves no one. It is during those occasions, Julie reminds us that we can pause and take all the time we need to answer in ways that honor ourselves. When I sense that I'm with a person or in a group where I'm not certain Whether I belong or not, it's the perfect time for me to exercise a boundary by asking for clarification, take time to respond, and answer the parts I feel comfortable answering. Belonging versus fitting in means to me that I feel a connection where I don't have to explain myself or act inauthentic to be accepted by another person. I agree that as adoptees, we can find belonging in a lot of places. On Julie's website, juliemcgewauthor.com, she states, Each week I post new essays focusing on identity, family, and life's quirky moments, as well as the most recent news and research centering on adoption. In addition to writing about finding out who you really are, where you belong, and making sense of it. I explore coping with deep emotions like anger, loss, and rejection. I delve into the roles, bonds, and fellowship within family, and I bring to the forefront experiences that add color to our daily lives. Thank you, Julie, for having another conversation with me for the podcast. I know once your third book is published, we get to hear more about your adventures and how you are making sense of them. I look forward to learning more about you so I can learn more about myself. Another thing I anticipate in the future is the opportunity when I'm in Chicago for us to meet in person. That's next level for sure, and it's bound to happen because it's been two years in the making. Maybe we can even get Senator Sarah Feigenholz to join us since she's who brought us together. If you're an adoptee and would like to share your adoption journey, visit JenniferDianeGhostin.com. During the course of your day, I trust you will tell at least one friend or someone who you believe might find value in it, because word of mouth is still the very best way for the show to grow. Thank you for being here.